0: You're listening to the podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners or sponsors. Coming
1: to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between The Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Herd through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit herdpodcast.com, like Herd Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Herd Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to H.E.R.D., your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by the returning Vato. I'm back. Welcome back. Thank you. Nick. Hello. Jason. I'm still here. And the co-owner of Lost River Tiki Bar in Detroit, the yet-to-be-open Lost River Tiki Bar in Detroit, Matt Mergener. Hello, everybody. Hey, Matt. How are you doing?
2: Uh Excellent
1: great thanks for being with us thank you and you brought a entire bar with yes, you an entire
2: bar <laughs> i did yeah <laughs> I, I with because of all the pop-ups we've been doing uh, i i travel not light <laughs> <laughs> i've got ice uh, rum you name it it's in my little travel box so i think
1: this would be a good point to to start with t- talking about tiki and kind of the building blocks of tiki so Tiki is a concept. Uh, No, no, no. Tiki is only rum and juice. (laughs) I I don't think that's right. Change my mind. Matt. It's a lifestyle.
2: (laughs) I mean, it is for some people. Um, So I think we can start with the history of Tiki. But I just.
0: We should probably start with. I'm sorry. It's my first day back in a while. Yeah. We should probably start with the Brady Bunch. And the Vincent Price episode because isn't that where Tiki originated? No, God, none of us are as old as you. <laughs> what are you referencing? <laughs> are you My kidding goodness. me? No, I, no idea what you're I mean, talking about. Was it a color episode? The amulet, Was it black and white. The amulet, the Tiki amulet. No. We need a research oh, come
1: assistant. Come on, did, we do. Wait, intern. Did, I mean, Tiki started in 1933. Done the beachcomber. Oh, yeah.
0: Please continue.
3: <laughs> he actually does research. We just um, banter him.
1: A, a gentleman by the name of Ernest Raymond Beaumont Gant Ooh. opened John the Beachcomber Cafe in 1933. Trader Vic's sh- uh, followed shortly after. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, don't, I'm not aware of the – episode you're referencing. You know.
0: please, please tell me I'm not the only <laughs> one here. I
1: believe he's referencing the episode The Tiki Caves from 1972. Did yeah. you <laughs> search <laughs> it? I did. Nice. Thank you, Randy. They had
0: this amulet and everyone that wore this tiki amulet, the, the Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii, everyone wears this tiki amulet, something bad happens to them and Vincent Price is in the... Oh, come on!
1: Okay, nothing bad is going to happen when people go to the Lost River, right? Nothing <laughs> no, bad's going to happen. No. There's, so. <laughs> there's no Brady Bunch anywhere <laughs> at
0: the Lost River, that I can assure you.
2: <laughs> oh. Okay, so building blocks, uh, building blocks. So if, yeah, if we're going back to history of tiki, uh, a lot of the original tiki drinks and the originators of tiki, um, it was a it was a glamorous thing. It was 30s and 40s. It was movie stars. It was uh, people going to this tropical experience, uh, and it was it was a high end thing when it started. And I think what's lost in a lot of the the history is the original bartenders were Filipino. And these recipes were uh, created by these Filipino bartenders. They were passed from bartender to bartender, uh, amongst brothers, sisters, uh, fathers, sons, and a lot of those recipes were lost uh, until you know probably the last ten years or so um, when we started finding some of these books and, and talking to some of these folks that were, are still working or were still working you know ten years ago with these recipes, but. When it first originated, it was it was a fancy affair to go to a tiki bar. And then I think over the next couple of decades after the 30s and 40s, it kind of spread out and became um, you know, a lot of different things. It, 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 tropics was interpreted uh, in every city a little bit differently. And so I think that's what you see in some of the tiki bars in the 50s and 60s.
3: Also, what helped is um, in World War II, we had a lot of um, GIs that were stationed in Pacific island areas. So they were getting access to juices and flavors that weren't necessarily in like Des Moines. So I think that also helped kind of perpetuate it and really bring it up. So in the fifties yeah. and sixties you saw that. Des Moines. Des yeah. Moines? Did I pronounce it wrong?
2: <laughs> no, you're exactly right though. Yeah. The I mean the the impact of World War ii um with people coming back from the South Pacific and and that almost like it, it kind of fits with What Tiki is in a lot of ways is it's an Americanized version of island culture. Um, and we've taken it and kind of made it our own and changed it in different ways. And it it comes from a lot of different things, but that's, yeah, I think that's one of the things is world war II had a big impact Mm -hmm. on the spreading of what this idea of Tiki is.
1: Yeah. And, And so with the recipes, the, the mention of the Filipino bartenders, they weren't drinking these drinks in the Philippines though. These drinks are truly American drinks, correct?
2: Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, um, you know, a lot of the ingredients and in the, the fruit juices and things like that, you know, those could come from island culture or might have been experienced by someone visiting. Um, say the South Pacific or something like that. But yeah, these are American drinks, um, and they were created by, uh, a combination of the Americans that owned, um, these restaurants and the Filipino Americans that were working <laughs> as bartenders in these restaurants. So I think it's, it's a combination, you know, you hear Trader Vicks and down the Beachcomber and they get a lot of credit, uh, for creating a lot of these and they did, and they were heavily involved in creating these, but I, there was a lot of work behind the scenes that isn't necessarily talked about, um. And that's where these recipes, I think, passed from place to place throughout the U.S. is, is those bartenders.
0: Who who gets credit for the, the glassware and, and mm. the decorative, you know, uh, whether it's going from the, the the carvings of the skulls or like what we have here today. We got these parrots and um, I mean, everything that's about tiki culture is about that I've seen is about color and the and the ordination that uh, makes it a lot different and. Does that come from somewhere specific? Is it morphed? Over? I'm sure it's morphed. As yeah, people. Um, a lot, it. If you
2: look at some of the old tiki menus, it was a lot more glass heavy. Um, I think over time, as uh, we introduced a lot more kitsch and 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 things like that into tiki culture, and um, I think that started more heavily in the 50s and 60s. Um, but when it first started, you know, there were a few kind of interesting mugs, and there was there there was the color with garnishes and everything. Um, but I think it was. A couple decades later, when you got the full on, you know, every drink is served in a, a separate kind of mug, and it's, um, it's kind of like the three dots and a dash experience. I think they were, uh, they're ones that they just full on went all out and said every drink that we serve is going to be in some sort of crazy drink mug. out of a treasure chest. Yeah, exactly, <clears throat> a three hundred dollar treasure chest. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that I, I think it was when it first started. It was a lot more glass heavy and just focus on the drink and the garnishes and then over time that element of kitsch kind of went into it and then we see i think present day tiki is very much like uh it, it came out of that the other nice thing about these glasses
3: is maybe potentially some of the older drinks were a little more garnish heavy whereas with this you can probably slack on the garnish a little bit because you have such a beautiful glass that
4: allows maybe for a higher volume or something like that aren't you
0: aren't you adding a lot of crushed ice
4: Sure. In most of the drinks. Though. Even with yeah. crushed ice. though. I mean, the volume on a lot of these tea glasses is Sorry, very not, large. Sorry, I at
3: high volume making cocktails. Yeah,
4: but that did also just ring a bell with me because sure. uh, they are also, for that, the most part. That yeah, Lost I mean, River glass is massive. Yeah. That's like 32 ounces. Is yeah. that 32 ounces?
2: Uh, it's it's close. Yeah. But there there is a lot of crushed ice that goes into that. But that's also one of the drinks that... We use five ounces, five ounces of lager, and so mm. it's mm-hmm. it's meant to hold a lot can of I liquid. Ju-
1: yeah,
3: we're passing around uh this big drink. It's kind of like a like a Foster's big can almost.
2: Yeah that that is um, small coffee can. A company that makes that is called uh, Monk Tiki, based out mm. of uh, Portland and uh, Astoria, Oregon, and they that's their cork and net mug. Um, that we just happened to brand our logo on, but it is, it's, it's a heavy duty, um, meant for high volume, like high number of ounces drinks. And that's one yeah. that we serve. Um, you know, it's got orange juice, pour this and, lime of rum juice in there. and Yeah. You can just pour a <laughs> bottle of rum in there. That's, that might be the preferred way to do it. Um, but yeah, it's got a lot of different ingredients that go into it. So it is, even though there's a lot of crushed ice, we can, we can make use of that.
3: And that's everything. I feel like Tiki does tend I to, guess. at least many of them tend to have a, a, a wide variety of ingredients to it. Um, sometimes juices, multiple rums, um, amaros, um, vodkas. I feel like uh, almost the average is like five ingredients for a lot of them. Is that always the case?
2: Uh, I mean, it is for a lot of the drinks. I mean, the, the Mai Tai is almost – it's one of the simplest drinks, and that has four or five ingredients. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you, you get into things like a fog cutter um, or a suffering bastard or a zombie. And, yeah, the the ingredients just keep climbing as you – Get into all the different tiki drinks, um, and the nice thing though is a lot of the juice bases are the same. So you've got uh, orange juice and lime juice is the base for a lot of tiki drinks, and then a few have grapefruit, a uh, few have pineapple. Um, depending on which way your menu wants you want it to go. Um, there is a lot of flexibility there, but I'd say lime and orange. That's the thing that I'm ordering on a regular basis and squeezing that uh, for almost every drink.
3: Do you find it challenging to kind of make all those flavors into a drink or is it, is it kind of flow once you get a, a good feel for it?
2: I think, yeah, I think once you get a good feel for it and, and a lot of it is based on the rums too. So um, the, the key ingredient is fresh squeezed juice. So that has to be a must for any Tiki drink. If you're using canned pineapple juice, or if you're using orange juice from the grocery store, the drink's just not going to taste good. And, um, you know, after the juices, it's probably the rum that you choose. And the nice thing about Tiki is you can go a lot of different ways. There's, you know, 20 different ways to make a good Mai Tai. If you've got the right rums and, and you're experimenting with different rums and the nice thing about rum is you can layer them onto each other and more than any other spirit, I think rum allows you to do that. So the
1: the point about um, store-bought juices, um, there is a point in the kind of like the decline of tiki where it seemed like it's like in the 70s, 80s and re- made a resurgence in the 90s. I, I feel like that kind of coincides with like the kind of like convenience food craze, right? So people – a lot of these mixes had to be available in stores at that point and at that point, they become very commonplace. And really kind of less than
2: – the quality is less than optimal at that point.
1: Is that what you find too in like the kind of the history of Tiki?
2: Yeah. No, absolutely. You're spot on. So the – yeah, with the the convenience of everything and everything be canned and packaged, um, you do see kind of a decline. And um, I think there's also a little bit of a decline in uh, that sort of cocktail culture too around the same time. Um, so I think they might have coincided a little bit. Um, but the, yeah, it, it is interesting. So the, the juices are key, the, the fresh, you know, fresh garnishes, fresh, everything are key. And yeah, if you remove those, you're not going to have a good experience. You're not going to have a good drink.
3: And is that, that obviously has cost implications too, because fresh juice, even though it does grow on trees is still expensive and those garnishes are probably aren't cheap either.
2: No, that, that's absolutely true. Um, and I think that's one of the things with some of the mugs and the kitsch element of it, is you can cut down on some of the garnishes. Uh, if if it is a glass and you see everything through it, uh, that that's one area where okay, you got to make that beautiful because it's it's probably kind of an amber color, and, and how do you dress that up uh, with a mug? You don't have to do as much. Uh, you know, a mai tai, you can have it in a coconut mug and throw a mint sprig in it, and you know it, it's garnished and it looks good and it it, it smells great. But um, yeah, the I think that that helps a little bit.
3: Last time I was in Porco's in Cleveland, they said Woo-woo. they lose around 1,200 glasses a year. Are you worried at all about loss? We'll
4: By breakage we'll or stealing. 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 stealing? stealing. All of the above. <laughs> yeah.
3: He actually stopped serving in the nice mugs on the weekends because of that. Hmm.
2: It is It is something that we're going to be worried about. But part of me, you got to trust in humanity. Uh, a little bit because, you know, it is when you walk into a bar, any bar, not just a tiki bar, it is, it's an experience and you want to have a good experience. You want to have a positive experience. So if you're asked for, you know, your credit card right away to make sure, Hey, if you steal this, like we're going to, uh, we're going to charge you. There's got to be a balance. So I think we're going to play it by ear when we first open and, and see how things go.
4: What's the capacity there?
2: Uh, the capacity is 80. Um, it's 40 seated, 80, 80 total. Um we've had a few just private events just to try out the space a little bit and 50 feels pretty packed in there so um I, I think that's probably what we're aiming for is like 40-50 people at a time in there.
1: All right so you you brought this bar with you let's let's let you use it a little bit. Um is there something specific you're going to make us right now?
2: Yeah, um so I brought the ingredients for a couple of different things, uh, a fog cutter and a strip and go naked. Uh I'll probably start with the strip and go naked okay. it is because it is,
4: vato does sex work yes exactly <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: usually yeah. i need a couple more uh, uh <laughs> shots of this plantation rum though. yeah <laughs> um
2: but yeah the the strip and go naked it is a classic uh cocktail from the 60s and it is one that doesn't appear on a lot of menus and i think part of the reason is it's not a rum cocktail um, when we were designing the classic side of our our menu we wanted it to be rum heavy but then we wanted to find other things where we could use local ingredients local spirits and this one stood out because not only can we use um detroit city distillery vodka and gin um produced locally but we can also use strohs which isn't necessarily local but it's a local brand like well known in detroit so um that's one where it kind of all comes together with detroit based spirits and beer and And was uh, one that, you know, isn't rum based. And so it was a little something different. So in college,
3: we used to make these sip and go naked. Uh, Wait, strip and go naked. Yep. And that was uh, 12 packet beer, a fifth of vodka and five frozen pink lemonades.
2: So this is just the fancy version of that basically. Okay. (laughs) uh, So, yeah, the strip and go naked is going to be five ounces of chilled Stroh's lager. Um, but you can use, if you're making this at home, you can use any lager. Um, we experimented with a few. We like Stroh's just because it, it lets some of the other flavors shine through. Uh, so it's lager. It is vodka. Uh, it is gin. And then it is orange juice and lime juice with a little bit of grenadine. So we serve it in a mug that you can't really see the color of, but it would have a little bit of a pink or red hue to it because of the grenadine. Uh, but for the most part, it is a fruit forward when you first sip it, and then it finishes with the lager. So you get a couple different flavors going in there. So yeah, I can make one of those.
4: Go for it.
1: I don't usually have someone making a drink while we're on air. You're going to have to banter. So we're going to have know. to banter, Vato. Right. I <laughs> thought.
4: I think I just had this drink at Three Dots and the Dash uh, a few weeks ago. I thought I had the menu in my bag, but I don't. Yeah, so... I really
1: enjoyed it. So I, I think all of us have some... Um, experience at tiki bars i've never i've never had this drink jason you you said you just you may have i think um, i'm almost nick,
4: positive because i the name and uh when the lager i think they used a uh i want to say they used a cider though uh potentially i thought i had the menu in my bag but i was getting drunk that night so
3: and, <laughs> and nick used to That's serve his version I in a trash, trash can, can. Uh, yeah. so, so we actually had um big containers that we had loaned from the marching band that we served in them this might be real, uh, sharing too much information. Yeah. We actually had one that we left in over the winter, and I think it actually grew some mold because we forgot about it. So wow.
0: at band practice, uh, no. Um, yeah, I, I've i had uh, I think a lot of uh, tiki fun experiences. I haven't done anything like this. I, obviously, I don't uh, – for those that don't know, I, I still don't drink any beer. So I wouldn't partake uh, in that. But um, – yeah, hey, the craziest thing I think I've had in terms of a tiki drink is in the way it came. I got that um, shark uh, mug that you had to drink out of a straw. It um, had they they put some uh, I don't think it was grenadine, but I think there was like, some really really red bitters on the thing that, to imitate blood, mm. and there was like a leg coming up. Um, it was a crazy crazy looking drink.
4: Oh. That what's going on here?
0: Nick is really getting into this one. <laughs> All
4: right. <laughs> uh,
0: so the presentation was uh, it was very unique. On that, the drink was good. Presentation, you know, but the presentation kind of outshowered, outshined the drink a little bit. Yeah. Um, went to amazing, amazing tiki place in San Francisco where they actually had a grotto in the basement, and like a. I, I, I guess you could go swimming in it, but we. <laughs> it was one of those things that you kind of just like hung out next to the pool. And
2: is that the Tonga room?
0: I don't know. I was, I was, yeah, to think tonga that's room's the Tonga room the one that has, has the pool in the middle, right? Yeah. The, in, San, okay. in San Fran. Yeah. yeah. So there's multiple levels. And I remember they were closing, and the bartender's like, All right, everybody got to go. But those two can stay because they're from Detroit. Because <laughs> we had struck up a conversation <laughs> about us being from Detroit. And then all of a sudden it was like, I ah, could stay. You know, he was, <laughs> I mean, he was gruff. I don't know. Probably missing a tooth or two. I think he had four fingers. I don't know. Oh, all right. So I kind of fit. Them. I don't know if that's like part of the requirement for being in a tiki place, as the. So the Brady Bunch in Hawaii was actually three episodes. It was
1: the beginning three episodes of season four, episodes 74 and seventy-five. Awesome.
0: So they had this. They had this thing. There was this tiki emirate and like Greg wore it when he was uh, you'd, surfing. You'd love talking about this amulet. You love it. It was a big thing. It was Greg. He wore it when he was surfing, and he like fell off his surfboard and broke his leg or something. I like the sound of that. Uh, <laughs> Then uh, Bobby had it, and there was like a tarantula on him. And I'm telling you, Vincent Price was in it. And so, so Jason, what? so
1: uh, Lost River is uh, located near Gross Point, east side, way east side, of Detroit. And then uh, Jason, obviously, Mutiny, you know, is the the Optimist Society bar, um, and that's on the west side. So you guys are about 25 minutes it's away the from one. southwest, on side. The southwest side, yeah. Um, so. How has By the, the way, t-
3: this episode was in '72. I said so this, already. Yeah. I was negative <laughs> <laughs> nine.
1: How has the tiki concept been working in Southwest Detroit? Uh, real good. Yeah,
4: it's. I mean, it's a it's a variation on the tiki concept. It's almost like a dive tiki. It's kind of there. It's a it's a turnkey. I mean, it was an old the VL bar. It's been there for a oh, long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just good, clean, fun. You know. <laughs> Do we still the have? The- have we been we've been doing karaoke on Thursday. It's been going really well. Just because people really enjoy coming there and just letting loose, you know.
0: Do we still have the Tiki, uh, like, Christmas revival at Chin's in Livonia?
4: Um, I believe they do. They do I'm a number be... of events. They just had a, uh, not too long ago, like a um, a meetup and, like, a sale. Like, you could, uh, a bunch of people brought some stuff to sell, mugs, different things. Um, I can't remember. It was probably two months ago. Um,
0: but, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, have I mean, always been fun. Yeah, you know, I, there's
4: definitely, a you know, there's definitely, people are definitely looking for that, um, for that experience. I mean, we did the sugar house menu. Oh, we did yeah. A whole summertime. That was awesome. Uh, probably two, this will be the third summer, I believe, um, just to kind of introduce people to the, to the idea again. So that's where I was like, oh, I got to find the shirt. I'm glad it still fits relatively <laughs> a little more <laughs> snug than, than, but,
3: well, not to mention you got the hat, too, so you definitely got the full-on Magnum the P.M. That's yeah. what I was known for. <laughs>
0: so here is there anything that is too kitschy to bring back into Tiki in present-day culture? Like,
4: Well, or- we just got a Lebowski bowling uh, seat for the Mutiny Bar, which is pretty great. I can't remember what the name of the brand is, but it's like an original vintage six-person bowling bench that you find in a bowling alley. I mean, is there anything that you – all right, like I'm not bringing that back.
0: This is – it's dead or it should stay dead or – you know, is there anything like that that is kind of like –
2: There's – I mean, there's a few things where I think in the past more like tribal images and things like that and that's that's stuff. The nice thing about tiki is you can go to a lot of different directions with it. You can go tropical. You can do kichi and like that's I think – uh, most of the Tiki bars that are opening today would stay away from that sort of thing um, in terms of just the mugs and the images because that's, I think that was part of a past Tiki uh, theme or, or one line of past Tiki that uh, maybe wasn't as culturally sensitive as it should have been. But uh, the nice thing about new Tiki is, you know, you can go tropical, you can go kitschy with Lebowski stuff, you can go a lot of different ways. So I think that's that's, I think the one change is um there are different variations but you can get rid of all of the old stuff that didn't work out in the past mm. or should have been done in the past
0: I, w- I would think that if you had too much of the like modern day like skulls and you know stuff that's trying to like looks like it's trying too hard you know what i mean that i think that would be like eh, i don't really want that because it loses some of the uh, authenticity because it's Purely profit oriented. Well,
1: one one of the main things about tiki is that it's like the over the top drinks and the over the top decor. So you are not you are not going to a tiki bar expecting it to be subdued, right? Right. Yep. And so, but sometimes it can look poor. You know, who's all?
4: Who decides poor. what's authentic though these days? In right. Because we've been as we've been talking about, I think, like you said, there is different interpretations. Not even today, but even originally, whether it was different interpretations on what tropical is. Now it's different interpretations, like you said. Now, in hindsight, some some things may have been culturally insensitive, but I think for us, like, Dive Tiki was an interpretation of Tiki. Is it, like, you know, we have a good relationship with the team at Porco. We've had them in the Sugar House. We've gone there and done takeovers there as well, but, you know, that's like an homage to a classic Tiki bar. In Mm -hmm. my opinion, Mutiny didn't set out to be like that. Um, I'm not sure, like, if that's something that you took inspiration or where you took inspiration from. But for us being in Southwest and just the – but the nature of the space was different, you know, just felt right to do something a little different.
2: Yeah, and I, that, that's a good point. I mean, you can get inspiration from a lot a lot of different places. And for us, uh, the – I think the inspiration was some of those classic teaky bars. So, like, our lights are very much a throwback to the – um old tiki bars and they're designed like that with kind of charred wood and and the way that the light flickers in them and and things like that. But the the rest of the space is almost more tropical and nautical. And it is kind of what direction you want to take. So uh you know we have netting and the lights and, and stuff that you expect in a tiki bar, but um and there are elements of the classic in there. But the It's not full on because it is – I think it's hard to recreate something like that. There's you know Tiki Cat in Kansas City. They went full on old school like we're going to recreate what an old tiki bar was. And they built that from the ground up. There's a guy in California named Bamboo Ben who he (laughs) builds tiki bars for a living. And he goes in and he'll build it from the ground up for you. And we talked to him and – uh, you know, he he offered to come out to Detroit and uh, he actually ended up designing the lights that we have in our bar for us. So that really classic tiki element are a bamboo bend design, but then the rest of it, we kind of wanted to put our own tropical flair and, and go a different direction with. So it is, there's, there's a lot of different places you can pull from. What,
0: what about music? What about, uh, are you going with a, just a sound-based uh, uh, instrumental tiki kind of flair to it? Is it uh, more, are you throwing in some surfer stuff? Is it where are you going with that?
2: Yeah. So it's going to be um, kind Ten-ten. of all the, all the above. So, the if you walk in during happy hour, the idea is we want classic tiki. We want to introduce, especially during those couple hours, you know, Martin Denny, Les Baxter, um, that sort of thing. So, that'll be going then. And then it might, you know, progress into Mambo or, you know, different things that might be similar, um, but aren't just straight up like the classic tiki artists like Uma Sumac and, and things that are almost like more throaty and vocal and, and get people going and get the energy going. Uh, and then into late night, um, that's still to be determined. Like we could go more kind of surfer, beachy type stuff. Um, but we want to keep it, you know, either nautical or tropical or, you know, tied to some sort of classic tiki history.
0: I think Nick was going to ask if the Moana soundtrack was going to be <laughs> Dude,
2: I love the Moana soundtrack. <clears throat> it's a great movie. Uh, food? Uh, no food to start with. No food to start. So people can bring food in, but uh, we have a tiny kitchen that our our first goal is to open the bar. And then once the bar is open, then we'll figure out what we're doing with the kitchen. But makes sense.
0: I think you got to have a, a ham and and pineapple pizza. Uh, right? A poo-poo platter?
2: Yeah. There, there's there's pizza places nearby that people can uh, bring oh. in stuff. So similar things. Hawaiian
1: pizza. So the, the main point, like the, the, the drinks here give you a sensation of being somewhere else. The, the space gives you an, a sensation of being somewhere else. Well, if back, you drink enough, you're going to be someplace else. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> yeah, if and, there are a couple fog cutters. <laughs> <laughs> um, b- back in the back at the Beachcomber Cafe, if I if I recall correctly, there there was even like a, a window where these Filipino guys were making the drinks. So you had bartenders out front that were simply pouring vodka or martinis or whatever, and then you had this exotic kind of presentation happening behind you, um, w- with the kind of like the knowledge that people have now is, is it more difficult to be exotic?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think with social media and with, uh, you know, the internet and everything else, it's, it is people see images and they see images of what they think are exotic or what could be exotic every day. So I think, um, but I think that's what the nice thing about a Tiki bar is. And that's why part of why I think they're making a resurgence is, you know, people want to experience that or experience a version of the exotic. Um, and, you know, you can look at pictures all day and you can see images, but actually going and experiencing it or experiencing something different, even if it is a kitschy, fake version of exotic, you know, it's it's going there and experiencing it and, and having a good time.
1: What, what does your menu look like in terms of like a, there's like a classic and is there like a contemporary and
2: How's it broken down? So on the left side of the menu, uh, and we're working on finalizing that right now, but the left side of the menu is is classic tiki. So it'll be everything from Mai Tais to Fog Cutters, Painkillers. We didn't do a Suffering Bastard. We did a Dead Bastard because that includes rum, and we wanted to go more rum heavy. Um, So so
1: wait, Suffering Bastard, Painkiller, Fog Cutter, where do these names come from? uh,
2: Those are all classic tiki drinks from... You know, some of them were from Down the Beach and Trader Vic's. Um, some of them were the Strip and Go Naked, for example, was uh, later on in the 60s. And there's there's these little pockets of tiki, um, you know, like Strip and Go Naked, or even the the painkiller was from the, I think, the soggy dollar bar, if I'm remembering right. So I think Trader Vic's and, and Down the Beach laid claim to some of the original tiki drinks, like a zombie or a Mai Tai. But then Throughout the fifties and sixties and even into the seventies, there's these little kind of regional pockets of people inventing uh their own drinks and those eventually kind of became classic tiki as well. It's I don't know where exactly the cutoff is, but it's almost like I think nineteen seventy, uh before nineteen seventy is could be considered classic tiki. And so that's that's really the left side of our menu is is pulling from pre nineteen seventy tiki drinks.
1: And you said that a lot of these recipes were kind of hidden or lost for uh, up until like what 10
2: years ago well, yeah they,
0: they were in like a bottle that was, like, <laughs> you know, it was in the ocean <laughs> and uh a, you know yeah cork the, on it and
2: there's a guy by the name that goes by the name of uh beach Bumberry and he's written a couple different books uh grog log is one of them um and he he's went, latitude yeah, yeah so he he owns he also owns a tiki bar now yeah. in new orleans and he did all of the research. He went back and he found these people. He interviewed, you know, surviving relatives of the original tiki bar owners. Um, he tracked down the the family of the original Filipino bartenders. Uh, and a lot of these recipes were lost or they were approximations and they weren't quite right. And so he went and tracked down all of these people and interviewed them and created uh, essentially like a catalog, the Bible of tiki drinks, um, through a couple different books that he that he wrote. And that's that's where a lot of our recipes come from. Like if 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 you're going to do tiki drinks, uh, whether you're at a bar or at home, like Beach Bum Berry's books are a really good spot to start.
1: So then you go from classic to where? On um, the
2: menu? So on the menu, we've got – so left side is classic. Right side is more uh, modern stuff. So it's our own takes. And we still have different mugs and different fun things we've got. Uh, one called the sweet jewels which is uh a vodka and passion fruit uh flavored drink and that's that comes in a pink elephant uh there's um you know there's a octopus mug and there's a couple other ones but it's kind of our own take on tiki and and a lot of it there's a couple of rum drinks but most of those drinks are using gins whiskeys um mezcals things like that just to to mix it up and have something a little bit different so it still plays on on the tropical theme and it still has uh still have fun mugs, but it, it isn't necessarily classic tiki.
1: So what does that mean to you though? So what does your side of the menu mean in terms of tiki culture?
2: Um it's I think for us it's we wanted to continue the the kitschy tradition and and feature really interesting, tasty drinks in cool glasses. Uh and then Um, But also the modern side of the menu has more of our personal ties and and just things that either uh, Karen, who's my co-owner, or I like either things that we just like and like to see in drinks or uh, the names and and some of the the mugs and things have personal ties to uh, our history.
0: So uh, for those that aren't into a lot of uh, overly sweet drinks or overly fruity drinks, what does a tiki bar offer that? person
2: uh there are a lot of drinks so on our modern side of the menu we'll have a lot of stuff that is not as sweet because um, we recognize a lot of classic tiki drinks are sweet uh, or sweeter and that i think part of that is a misconception so there are a lot of fresh juices but a good tiki drink for example a good mai tai shouldn't be that sweet you know there are things that go into it that make it sweeter than a normal like say an old-fashioned but um yeah i, I think if, if made correctly, um, it should be amber in color and, and, and not as sweet and just should just have the, the taste of fresh fruit juice. But there are other things. For example, uh, a port light is a classic tiki drink, and that's uh, bourbon forward. And that Ooh, is yeah. – uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's an ounce and a half of bourbon. It's an uh, ounce of lemon. It is a little bit of grenadine. And then you put uh, passion fruit. Either uh, a syrup or a sauce that you make into it. It and sounds so, awesome. Yeah, it, it's it is amazing. That's that's on our menu too, and that's one of them. So Karen, uh, my co-owner, she likes things a little bit more boost forward than I do, and she's a bourbon lover. So she gets too. Where's quality. Karen? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, she unfortunately couldn't make get it. Get along but, really well. I know. Yeah, and yeah, she. We've both been into mutiny before, and she orders the the most boozy things she can find on the menu there.
0: But, Do you guys find that a lot of uh, tiki places adopt this idea that you should have more boozy forward things, or is it always kind of fall into this, uh, you know, fruit forward or, or more sugary, fructose
4: I mean, even at least my perception, even those, even drinks that are sweeter, quote unquote, fruit forward, tiki drinks in general are pretty boozy. Oh, they're potent, I, you know. Yeah,
0: they're potent. It just, I, I, I just, you know, envision that, like that one customer that comes in and says, you yeah, know, I don't drink one. Vata. Vata.
4: <laughs> I don't drink beer. Literally, I just got, want straight rum. Literally, the one customer.
0: Uh, I mean, maybe the
4: is, perception of the bur- because bourbon is like kind of an. If you think of most people's perception of tiki is rum, and so mm. bourbon is like, oh, that's a weird thing to put in a tiki drink. So American, yeah, mm-hmm. so
0: Britsky. Well, it is oh, it actually,
3: I'd probably drink rum over bourbon if I could. You should have
4: a drink called the Britsky. No. No what do you should. guys think <laughs> about this plantation rum? Just while we're talking about, that's about it, that's, that's nice. delightful.
1: Yeah, so what? So, talk about that that's for That's the second. hotness right now. Yeah, it's, talk about uh, this so we can shake some well. We've
4: else. you know, plantation is definitely their their brand is on fire, they're owned by Pierre Ferrand. Uh, in the Michigan market, unfortunately, well, they did just uh bring the first single barrel as a Trinidad 15 year, they divided up between um, a few bars, there was only one barrel, Sugar House, Katoa, uh, I know Joe rabbit standby got some um, but the Chicago market is flush with a bunch of really interesting unique great rums a rum like this which is just a vintage uh, Barbados rum distilled in 2001 bottled in 2015 uh, it was aged 10 years in Barbados two years in uh, cognac casks and then well, I don't know. That doesn't add up to fourteen. <laughs> 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 Too much run. To, to well, I'm reading it right off the label. <laughs> what I liked about this, they had a uh, they had a bunch of different options. But what I liked about this one, the note the the notes that they uh, have on the back of the bottle, uh, tropical, elegant, and exotic. Aristocratic nose that is a vibrant tribute to exotic fruits and spices. Ripe banana gives way to dried pineapple, mango, cinnamon, cardamom, and curry. And, I was and like, the wow, pack- that's interesting. It's
0: packaged well. I mean, the, so we're looking at a glass bottle.
4: Their branding is amazing. That
0: has a uh,
4: rattan, maybe. I don't rattan? know. Is I that don't
3: what know that's what it's called
0: it, it. I mean, it, it's some, It's some. It's some string on it, right? Yeah, it's like, string. Yeah, string. <laughs> yeah. You go to the string store and you get that. <laughs> I mean, it looks like it's it's made to be like one of those old timey casts that uh, you know the pirates of Caribbean dug up yeah. and. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it looks. I mean, that just adds that little extra. Shaking.
4: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Their branding is great. I mean, it's uh, like we've talked about before. It's pretty, pretty cool that they're uh, they're really the only, or probably the company that's doing it the most. I won't say the only, but um, they're really scouring the Caribbean for all these interesting, unique uh, rums and bringing them into the uh, into the market, which is really cool.
0: So I'm I'm a novice at this part. Is there a difference from like having the Rums uh, mature in the Caribbean versus mature outside the Caribbean. If it I mean, is, there a temperature difference yeah. that makes a difference, or I, I understand there's differences in casks.
4: Yeah, well, they're aging. But. They're bringing these back, and I believe when that says that they're aged. Uh, yeah, they're. This one was aged for two additional years in cognac casks in France, so that's got to have some type of effect since it's a totally like, different I don't know, is there yeah. a climate altitude well the, the like, thing
0: with
3: when you put it in barrels is you want that season change you want that hot cold hot cold hot cold because then you're pulling it in the, in the wood pushing it out of the wood and so that's why like rick houses aren't like climate controlled you know when you go down to louisville they're just like big warehouses Lewis, Hi, Lewisville Lewisville uh, higher up in the rickhouse tends to be hotter so you're going to get more movement lower in the rickhouse you know less movement and that's why they kind of rotate and mix and blend and yeah.
4: yeah but this is more analogous to like even in the bourbon market there's a lot of whiskey that's made at um, Midwest Grain Products MGP in Indiana or even whiskey that's uh, sold on from source from the uh, Kentucky distilleries, it would be like Valentine or Smooth Ambler, Smooth Ambler's in West Virginia. They're buying barrels from Indiana, taking them to West Virginia. It's a different terroir. It's different levels of humidity. Right. Different, like you said. Um, same thing with Valentine bringing them to Detroit or like High West taking them to Utah. Um, so I don't know. I haven't I haven't looked into rum as much as you know as I know about bourbon, but I am going to look into it starting tomorrow. To recover from that's this. Evening. Delicious. As is, is this drink. Yeah, Matt, so what did
3: you This drink is make awesome. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, this is a fog cutter. It is uh, orange juice, lime juice, simple syrup, brandy, gin, and light and dark rum. <laughs> so, wow. it is, it packs a punch, but it's hidden behind kind of the brandy and fruit. And I think that's one of the cool things about that drink is I don't think a lot of people uh, are brandy drinkers or don't always combine brandy with fruit and so it's it's a taste that i think surprises a lot of people and when we've done our pop-ups this has been one of the more popular ones i think just because of that flavor combination
3: and i would have expected a different fruit juice in there than something that seems very standard Mm -hmm. there's almost these like vanilla characteristics that are probably coming out from the rum i'm guessing Mm -hmm. but um this is this is fun it's
0: a a dangerous drink because i mean it's like a yeah. When this is served your in your capri- at, at your
1: caprizo. place, like what's a good? How big is the drain? Uh, drain it
2: fills it. up this parrot mug right there. Oh, wow. Yeah, a lot wow. of crushed ice though. Yeah.
3: You know, you're looking for dilution. Mm-hmm. You're not chugging this. You know, you're sipping out of a straw.
1: That, I hope
2: you're not chugging it. Well, I I think the <laughs>
1: issue, is there a limit?
4: I know the old zombies. There was like a two zombie limits, and one of the old. Uh, Maybe yeah, or... there,
2: we are We are looking at that for the menu right now. Certain drinks, zombies and fog cutters and some of the very alcohol ones having some sort of limit on those. And that's that's why we also want to have things like Stroh's and Corona yeah. and and alternatives if you've had a couple of fog cutters and need to take it easy, like something that's easy sipping and not where do, as alcoholic. Where do you put
0: something like this versus a hurricane, like in a spectrum of like genre? Uh.
2: That's a good question. I mean it's – I stay away from hurricanes. I don't know about you, but I – it's – it's for me, hurricanes have always been I think too on the beachy party aspect and I don't think people do them well. And so I've tended to stay away from that. And when we looked at things – you know, hurricanes are on a lot of classic tiki menus, but – If they're not out of a – a
3: one a three foot tall yeah. <laughs> plastic jug on Bourbon Street, you're kinda of losing some of it, I think. Yeah. Right. I
2: think I think part of that is what we tried to stay away from was um you know, my ties are classic and that just needs to be on a tiki menu, but we tried to do some of the classic stuff that you know you can't get a, at a ballpark or you can't get mm. at, you know, places where there are, people already have a perception of it. So it's Or you almost, can corner
0: the market and put this on a ballpark. This is true, yeah. <laughs> I mean yeah, you know, change the game. Like, change, but the, change the game. The game. Yeah. <laughs> Craft
2: cocktails at uh, Comerica.
1: But I feel like you're getting at a good point here because tiki is a part of a lot of menus now, so people have a perception. of A lot of these drinks, right? Mm. Yeah.
0: So I mean, how so how do you how do you is, is go pina, about changing? Is, is pina colada tiki? Is it tiki uh, if it's on yeah. ice instead of cr- instead of blended in a machine? You know, like.
2: Uh, I think mean that that that's fringe. <laughs> fringe t- I don't know. Yeah, I mean. It's a, a lot of – you could include it. Like a lot of these – like again, it's how far do you want
4: to go tropical. You get to like daiquiri. Like, yeah. It's daiquiri. Not tiki. every beach then, drink is a tiki yeah. drink I yeah. think is how that mm. – yeah, but, but there That's are definitely
1: good, tiki tiki sections sure. of cocktail bar menus, right? There are, yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I think we've stayed purposely more traditional tiki using uh, a lot of the, like the research recipes um, and and – Probably the strip and go naked, even though it is classic tiki, is probably the closest thing we went to, one that's been bastardized over time uh, by college people. That's right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Making things in garbage cans. Yeah.
3: It wasn't a garbage can. It was food safe. It was food safe.
4: They were cultivating the do-it-yourself ethos at a young age. We were trying to carbonate it naturally. (laughs) Exactly.
2: With wild yeast. Yeah, but I think it is your – You're trying to introduce people to cocktails, um, how they were created in a way or introduce them to the historical context of the the cocktails. And that's – that is hard to do sometimes when – and I mean I think we've all done it. Like we all went through college. We all have our first experience like drinking what we thought a cocktail was and then um, especially with tiki and tropical stuff.
4: Yeah, Nick's
0: was out of a garbage can (laughs) That's true. apparently.
4: With, well, dry, where did the, with some dry ice. Where did the kernel? Tr- where did the kernel of the idea for Lost River come from? Then, like, where was the ultimate inspiration? Do
3: you want to talk a little bit about the name? Because that's something I had talked to you about yeah. a
2: long time ago. Uh, so yeah, we can go in a little bit of the inspiration. So the the name itself um, comes from uh, we wanted. We were looking at. We didn't want to call it like the Detroit River Tiki Bar or something like that. So we we wanted something nautical, something with a local tie. And, uh, there is a, in the Mount Elliott uh, cemetery, um, there is a body of water that is kind of an offshoot from the Detroit river. And there's a few different names for it. Some people call it bloody run. Some people call it the lost river. Uh, and so we went with the name lost river because, uh, a, it, it has that tie to the Detroit river, which we wanted that Detroit tie. Um, it's also the, um, uh, Karen, our co-owners, Relatives, she has relatives buried in that cemetery, so it was also kind of a personal connection there. Um, So that that's where the name came from, in terms of like the where Tiki came from.
4: Well, well, I mean, you've referenced Karen a couple times, and like, so like, you know, you and Karen, you're having an idea, and like, you want to start a Tiki bar, and like, where did that come from? Or just tell us how that came about.
2: Yeah, so I think part of it was um, I traveled a lot for an ad sales job and ended up going to... What? Nixon, uh, Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> Did I catch your attention? I traveled a lot for an ad sales job and I was fortunate enough to go to San Francisco and in cool. a lot of the places where uh, Tiki started. And even, you know, cities like Chicago, when Three Dots first opened, I was able to go there. And uh, so I, I was exposed to Tiki just through travel. And uh, then I started doing research into the, the Detroit side of Tiki and Monalawa, Chintiki, the tropics, like a lot of these cool, cool bars that, you know, we've kind of lost the history of um, and there are kind of relics and different things from those bars still around that that people are collecting and and you can find throughout Detroit. So probably five or six years ago, uh, before Karen and I met, I started collecting this stuff and. Uh, the mugs and the menus and everything like that with the idea of like this would be cool to actually put into a tiki bar and not only showcase these drinks and these cocktails that you know at the time weren't in Detroit yet but um, also the history side of it and so that's where the idea came from and uh, I met Karen a few years later and um, we talked about it and it, it was an idea and it, it you know things fall through like the concept, you know, starting a business is not easy and, and finding the right spot and and getting the funding and, and everything. So um, it was a long road, but we we finally got to the point where we were able to uh, start the idea. But, yeah, it started, I think, a lot because of travel and, and and the original tiki bars that we were able to visit.
1: Why did you pick the spot that you're in?
2: Uh, so we both live on the east side of Detroit. and. Um, part of it was just because of convenience and wanting to be close to where the bar is because we're both going to be involved <laughs> in it and, 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 running it. Um, it'll definitely be a bar where you see the owners there every day. Um, and so part of it was convenience. Part of it was, uh, we like the East side and, and there wasn't really anything like this over there quite yet. Uh, you know, both in Gross Point and on the Detroit side, cause we are pretty close to Gross Point. There wasn't. Uh there are a couple bars that do cocktails, but nothing like this. So um yeah, we we just and we got lucky with the spot. So
0: Grosse Pointe. Don't
2: yes. <laughs>
3: For single de Mayo. Do you feel like you'll be in the shadow of Lost Lake because you went with Lost River and kind of they were you might draw some relation to that? I
2: don't think so. Um because it it does have the Detroit historical tie yep. and for people that don't know Lost Lake yeah, is a for people that Chicago don't, yeah, tiki bar. Yeah, yeah. And I th- I think a lot of people, even if they like tiki, they haven't been to a tiki bar or you know, they haven't experienced Lost Lake, or they just they just want local tiki. Actually probably the biggest um, you know, people just walking into the bar. The, it's just been local people it's people from east english village, East English village nearby it's people from Grosse Point across the street um and it's they just want something tropical and fun
0: well the bars or, in Morningside right
2: yeah, okay, yep, and so people just want you know a spot to go drink that's fun mm-hmm. and regardless of what the name is
0: <laughs> yeah down down there didn't have anything I, I mean back in the day it was what double olive uh, they opened up from the Dearborn place to the Gross Point Place on Mac. Am I still dating myself? Wow. <laughs> no, I know. Mean, I, I, I remember because
4: I went to them Dearborn, so I mean I've been to but, Double Olive. You know, it was, Dearborn, not, it was but down, down, down I, street I from a bunch of these. Yeah, Mama Rosa's. Yeah, Mama so, Rosa's still yeah, there. Next, next, Sierra
0: Station, like but, all these places are. But, still but next But next to there was was Double Olive. And yeah. their uniform
3: had an ambulance right that they wore.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> <Don't>, <laughs> all comes back to the ambulance. <laughs> you asked Nick who the mayor back in the day was, you know, whatever. Kwame. <laughs> <That's amazing. clears throat> but no I mean there was I mean it, there wasn't a lot over there for I mean you have the you have the cigar b- bar down there that you know makes some cocktails but you know it, D- Detroit is unique in terms of like where you can find something yeah. everything's either saturated or it's an island in a way right? well, mm-hmm. I mean I feel like this tiki concept in in Detroit
1: in a place where the winters are so long like this year's winter was like still going si- si- yeah it's like yeah. six year what six are years are you talking about right? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to like, bring me down right <laughs>
4: now? like it, it might seems, be snowing outside Tiki right Tiki seems now. like such an
1: minute. obvious concept why, why, why did it, why is there such why was a decline for the last i don't know it's recently i mean really
3: muni bar was the first one in years we yeah. had like you know pop-ups in like the back of bars
0: but you we, know. Need, we need a bar that has a pool <laughs>
2: I think there's legalities
0: but with that. But, well, there's, but why why, why do you think there was a, a decline when it was left right
2: uh i think part of it was just so the decline of tiki before kind of the more modern resurgence i think part of it was just a decline in cocktail culture and so i think the rise of tiki again is kind of a an evolution of like what we've seen in terms of <laughs> You know, we had the speakeasy type bar and we had a lot of the, you know, cocktail bars that are focused on, you know, specific alcohols and and, and specific things. And this is kind of the more more fun, less like, I don't know, you you don't have to be dressed up to go in or you can, for lack of a better term, just let your freak flag fly when you go in. (laughs) Oh, Nick, you're all set. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I didn't
3: miss you at all. You know,
0: I I think I kind of started with Swingers, the movie Swingers, right? Cocktail culture mm-hmm. nation you know
1: that's i remember three, that like, one like, three day two like right? re, res, like the resurgence you yeah, mean yeah yeah it started yeah. with that
0: and then it had the big band kind of movement with you know uh, big bad voodoo daddy in the movie and that that came back for a while then it kind of died off and then it popped back up again uh like out of nowhere
1: but yeah. i think the larger issue kind of what i'm getting at is like we're we're behind like, Detroit is, like, historically – like, we're a few years behind concepts because Three Dots and a Dash open when. And like in the, in, well, in reference,
3: though, because, th- yes, we're behind maybe, like, New York and L.A., yeah. but we're also ahead of a lot of places. If yeah, you think like about. That's true. Like Des Moines.
4: Yeah. Des Moines. Yeah. <laughs> but also I think that Tiki dovetails with, like we talked about earlier, cocktails in general, right? Because, like – so going back to the idea that for many people, probably for those years, beach – any beach drink is associated with Tiki or right. probably not – but the idea that wasn't just whether it was tiki drinks or any cocktails that were made with sour mixes, like the whole, the original cocktail revival was a pushback against that, which was back to fresh juices, you know, handmade ingredients, interest in spirits, you know, really understanding the composition of the cocktails. And that even dovetailed with like a societal interest in the good food movement, movement, people thinking about what they're putting in their bodies, searching for craftsmanship, like a pushback against globalization, localization. So there's a lot of trends and there's a lot of things that have been coming together. And I feel like it's just a natural extension. I mean, even the Sugar House, which is, you know, going on, okay, seven years in October. It's like Detroit's original craft cocktail bar (laughs) outside of the roast, yeah, know, outside, you know, he was, he was tooting his own horn. Well, I <laughs> yeah, Well, it's not tooting your own horn. That's the story. I mean, you know, they were making some drinks at Rose, Joe, Rob, and Travis. But, you know, whether it was Dave and Sandy. Sandy obviously put the Oakland and Ferndale. Dave opened up the Sugar House in uh, Corktown not knowing whether anybody was going to want these. But Dave himself, like you said, Dave was traveling around. He was living in Chicago. He's traveling to North Fork. So he was, you know – um um exposed to that uh cocktail scene a few years before just like you're mentioning like a few years before the tiki started to come back you go to places in the bigger cities that are on the kind of in the forefront and you're like wow this is really cool like we should have something like that right and like why why wouldn't we i mean i just went to three dots in a dash i'd been to lost league a couple times but um it was weird three dots i'd only really seen pictures of the bar because people are sending me pictures or whatever so i wasn't really prepared for the whole experience of walking the back door and it's like that place is pretty big and mm-hmm. pretty yeah. <clears throat> pretty intense in terms of like how beautiful and the concept is so um, I guess that's my two cents just it, why people are coming back to it because it just, it's a natural extension of the cocktail revival in general.
1: And it, I don't mean to disparage the sit, like saying we're behind that way because yeah. what we do is really great. Like, but I guess that's cocktail- to say
4: the cocktail, so that's what I forgot. So the cocktail itself, I mean the, the bars in New York that were on the uh, pushing the cocktail trend, that's only like two thousand four or five. So mm-hmm. it's not like we're super far behind. I mean, this is still a relatively new. If that was two thousand five, let's call it in New York, and I guess it's a little bit. You know, Chicago's two thousand eleven. That's still a pretty good lag time. But um,
0: there's other things that we need to take into in account. Uh, you talked about globalization. I mean, I'm, in New York, Chicago, San Fran, L.A. They are all paying a different price for. Their fresh fruit than we are paying. I mean, we're paying a dollar a line. We're paying, you know, a dollar and a quarter a lemon sometimes, or sometimes it's a dollar 50. a lime. I mean, that stuff, I mean, it's hard for the average consumer to do it, much less say a, a bar that's going to like, okay, I'm going to take all these and I'm going to juice them. I got to pay for labor costs on that. And that's something that we just, I don't think we're used to. And it's very hard. I mean, I, I applaud everybody who makes their own sour mix, who squeezes their own limes, I I really do not want to go anywhere and have sour off the gun. Um, I understand it from an economic standpoint, but I hate it from a consumer standpoint because I want to have the best ingredients that I get. These other places, I'm sure, are are cutting deals in the back door to get their limes and lemons and their oranges. And when we are kind of out of that pocket, we're forced on whether it's a frost season down in Florida, we got to get some... You know, oranges and citrus that just aren't. You know, it's it's harder for us, and it's going to be more expensive for us. I mean, you know, those those guys down there, those guys in L.A. or Chicago or San Francisco who are getting it in droves and have like, oh, I can I can spend a you know a quarter for this. You know, it's it's a different market. So I don't necessarily I see what you're saying, Joe, about being behind in that. But we're also at a disadvantage about being in the Midwest and being so far removed from the scene that we are getting these ingredients that we have to incorporate these fresh ingredients at such a higher price i mean not even just that you talk about herbs i mean in the winter we're not growing unless you have a a thing we're not growing our basils and, and things that we need to add to our, our drinks that like everyone else is just getting to sent to them but, I, I
1: think but michigan has like i think is number two in biodiversity like nation, nationwide so we we do grow a lot here not yeah. not the citrus, and I think Matt and maybe you can talk about this. Is like the cost of running a tiki bar because of all the the, the really heavy reliance on the fresh uses. Is is it is it higher than running, a, say, a, cl- a classic cocktail bar?
2: Uh, I mean, it, it depends. So if if you're going with you know certain garnishes and you know you could probably speak better to the, the sugar house model than I could, but the you know something like that, you know, it is there is cost there it's it's more classic cocktails but i think there's other costs that are incurred there because of presentation um tiki there is presentation but because you can go different ways with it there's ways where you can say hey you know my mai tai, it's going to be really good i'm going to put a spent lime shell and a mint sprig in it and it doesn't have to be on fire uh or you know it, it doesn't have to have a lot of pizzazz but it can still be a really really good drink um and also just playing with the rums um you know, I think the, the the baseline is you have to have that fruit. Like to be a good tiki bar, you have to have, you know, fresh squeezed lime juice, orange juice, lemons, grapefruit, all of that uh, every day. Um, but you can work with the rums and you don't need a $90 bottle of rum to make a good Mai Tai or to make a good fog cutter. Um, I mean, even the brandy that we just used in this this fog cutter, it's it's E&J. Like it's, it's, it's like the people's brandy, but, but it's, you know, because all that drink requires is a hint of brandy. So as long as your rums are good and everything else is good, that hint of brandy will be perfect and and you can, you know, keep your costs down a little bit that way. But also
4: cost is only one side of the equation and people are willing to pay a little bit more for that. It's not even a luxury now. It's like a standard thing, you know, people like, like we just said, they're They want to have fresh things. They want to have craft things, right? And so, like, not everybody, but you can't be all things to all people. So when people come to the Sugar House or when they're going to go to Lost River, they're going to understand that these things cost this amount. And they're reasonable based on the marketplace because this is what it takes to make this drink. And if not, then they would go to a place that served – Cheaper drinks, you know? I mean these drinks aren't outrageously priced. I don't know what the price of your menus is going to be but I'm sure that they're in line with the market price of producing cocktails with decent spirits and fresh ingredients and the time that it takes for people to make the syrups and everything that goes into that, right? Do
3: yeah. we think there's ever going to be a pushback for like localizing ingredients like saying I don't want limes from Mexico? I want a local thing like how, can that, you, like how
0: can you localize that? I mean You can do shrubs.
3: You can do things like that. You don't have to you could there are local sours. There are local tropical fruits. There's um pawpaws, pawpaws and things like yeah. that. Yeah.
0: You localize pine- pineapples. pineapple. Yeah.
3: Well I'm just saying, you don't have to have that. I mean, is there a point when we I say think you have to have that in some
0: – But do you? pineapples guac coconuts can, can you do
2: michigan tiki is that something yeah, that... I, I think you could do a few michigan tiki drinks i don't think you could take a menu all the way and just no. i mean you could but then would you would want be, to it'd be crazy expensive and yeah the but the, that's what we're saying now though
3: i feel like are we going to get like 10 years when the limes are costing five dollars each that we can't <laughs> do no i'm just guessing i'm totally guessing
0: no.
2: i'm sorry no don't, don't be sorry no, I think... but I, I think it is a good point though and it's um I think part of it is I think you do see diversification of of menus too. Um, Not just, you know, we are a tiki bar, but we do punches. We do – you can still get a shot of beer on a menu and you can get that in in a lot of bars around the city Um, because I think it does – it is – it's Midwest. It's working class and like you still want to have stuff like that and that allows you – you don't have to source that stuff. That's just like – that's every day. That's available. Um, And I think there's that part of it too where – yeah, you want to have fresh stuff, and you you might have between an eight and twelve dollar cocktail. But then um, you also have things that are cheaper that appeals to everybody.
1: So you talked about happy hour for a second. What's your happy hour going to be like?
2: Uh, it's going to be a lot of Martin Denny, Les Baxter, uh, a lot of a lot of mambo, um, and then yeah, we'll have you know a couple dollars off drinks. Um, we will have rotating punches, um, not just during happy hour, but during the the regular service as well. But um yeah, it it it'll just be, you know, a way especially happy, to invite the yeah, it'll happy. be happy. It'll get it'll be a good escape for for people um or just uh transport them to the tropics. No will you guys have a patio? Uh not right out of the gate, but we will have something eventually.
1: And, and that'll be out front, out back. I, I don't out was, out front, okay.
2: unless I can move the dumpster out back. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> the patio wouldn't be great out back right now. So that's that's a work in progress. You, nobody wants to hang out next to a dumpster
4: and play beach, beach volleyball. No,
1: no one, no, literally no one. Britsky. Um,
4: <laughs> I mean, three dots and dash only opened in 2013. So sorry, I was just and Lost about Lake it must have been okay. a couple years after that. So because well, I was thinking when I was mentioning New York because the Violet Hour, you know, they were they just had their tenth anniversary. That's why I was trying to place these dates because it was an interesting question. 2005, New York. You know, Violet Hour is 10 years old. Sugar House is 7 years old. Three Dots and a Dash, 5 years old. You well, know. what's
3: New York? Is that auto-shrunken
4: head? That's the only one I can think of. I don't know. That's a good question. That's, That's the, the other other one, one I've too. been to. Yeah.
2: In New York. Right.
1: Yeah, so I'm wrong. I'm okay
2: with that.
3: No, no, no. I'm just saying. I like it. No, I was trying to trend. probe that idea of
4: yeah. like what's yeah, the – because we're
1: not behind. Well, I mean, we're, we're kind of in line. I mean, And I know. think
4: I'm guessing that that time lag is probably shrinking as Detroit becomes more cosmopolitan, it becomes more aware, like as the consumer base becomes more aware of all the things that are going on uh, around the country. I mean, think about it like, you know, seven, eight, ten years ago for sure, maybe five years ago, there were no like James Beard nominees or there were no – uh, even regional, much less nationally recognized cocktail bars or bars. So there was zero awareness really around any, a lot of that stuff. So even now, you know, we haven't won, but, um, um you know, Chef Mark, Andy, Lady House, all the people that have been on the James Beard, uh, James Regato, we've talked to. I mean, all of that stuff contributes to people's awareness of what's going around on a national, even on even a global level with like, Think about all the shows on Netflix, uh, you know, The Chef's Table, and all. The, now David Chang's got you know, so. I mean, that the 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 pace of change and awareness is increasing. I think as you know, as as people just as it becomes more um, like critical mass, you well, know. E-
1: even when I was in uh, Cleveland a few weeks back, I ran into Roger at a bar, and they were filming a pilot for oh, cool. for a um a, a series called Stirred, I believe, hmm. and it's going to be like a Chopped for bartenders. Something. who was that, behind uh, that do you remember i don't remember huh. but he was he was bartending i, I forgot what the place is called hmm. but um it was a usbg thing that i happened to be in hmm. the same city
3: oh was that the midwest uh regionals
1: i don't know if it was recently, yeah it had. was yeah okay. midwest regionals exactly yeah hmm. so i mean like you know it's the 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 kind of like the food and drinks i guess is like extending right so it's like even bartending's like
3: cocktails are tough on tv though because they look like brown glasses of brown <laughs> Just the same.
1: Yeah. So Matt, uh, Lost River, not open yet. What What is a projected kind of open, like approximate open?
2: Yeah, time? approximate open date is late May, early June. Uh, we've got most of the things in place. Uh, we've got the liquor license. We've got the the city business license. We've got fire inspection, all, all the good stuff. We're just waiting for final health department approval um, and yeah, in the meantime, we're just playing with the decor a little bit more, uh, organizing boxes in the basement, and uh, finalizing the menu. So uh, we're we're very, very close right now. And so where can people find you online? Uh, right now, we're on Instagram, uh, at, at Lost River Tiki. Uh, we're also on Facebook, and the website will be launching, and that was purposeful because we didn't want to watch, launch anything too soon. So we'll be launching the website next week.
1: Awesome. Yep. Well, best of luck. Thank you. Look forward to visiting. Thanks for being with us. Until next time, dine well, friends.